Right now we're in Christmas and it is a really, really exciting time of year to celebrate our Savior's birth. And I want to welcome you today. Thank you for being here. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to look past the fact that I know for many that this is actually a difficult time of year, uh, especially if you lost a loved one maybe recently. Uh, all the memories and traditions that come with Christmas, it, it, it really exasperates and amplifies uh, the, the, the void that is left when we lose loved ones. And that is not lost on us. And I want you to know I've been praying for you and everyone in this church that, that we'd still, even though we may have experienced loss and there may be difficult times during this month, that we can still have reason to rejoice because our Savior has been born. And uh, in fact, in our family, we've had two, we've had an aunt and uncle that have passed away and gone on to be with Jesus just in the last couple months. So we understand that too, but uh, we are still excited to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, this, this service is probably one of my favorite Christmas traditions is coming to the Christmas service at church. Even before I was a pastor, I loved to come to church at Christmas and, uh, and just enjoy the, uh, the service together. Obviously, we do things today that we don't do most Sundays. In fact, if you're new, you know, we don't shoot confetti out of a cannon every week. I can promise you that. Um, usually only uh, this, this service or maybe Easter or something like that. But uh, we like to do extra things. But the tradition is just great. And, uh, you know, tr Christmas traditions are wonderful. Uh, some are. Some are weird. Some are really great. Uh, I remember as a kid, one of my favorite traditions was obviously opening presents, right? We go to my aunt's house every year. We go on Christmas Eve, actually. We opened ours the evening of, of Christmas Eve. So that was great because I got to open my gifts before all my friends did and got to see what I got. And so I enjoyed that. But uh, we'd always have a meal together, me and my family and a, couple, a little bit of our extended family, too. And, and my aunt would always want us to sing Instead of praying for the meal and praying for grace, we would sing, uh, Jesus has the table spread. Does anybody know that song? Anybody here? Wow, nobody wants to admit it, huh? Okay, well, maybe that's just a weird cult thing my family did, but we'd have to sing instead of pray. We'd all sing together, and let me tell you, as a kid, that was really weird, and I did not enjoy it one bit. And then most, most Christmas Eves we'd have for dinner, we'd have oyster soup, which to a kid, that's just hot butter and milk and dead oysters floating around in it. And uh, I was not a fan of that at all. Luckily, they made sloppy joes for those of us that were picky. But, um, but Christmas traditions definitely can be wonderful. But how many of you know that Christmas traditions, just in and of themselves, can be empty if it doesn't involve rejoicing about our Lord and Savior? If, if Christmas to us is just about the traditions, if it's just about the gifts and, and the food and the getting together, and, and if it's just about you know, finding out if Ralphie's going to get his BB gun again, uh, which, by the way, he gets it every year, um, then, then when it's over, you kind of realize that it kind of missed the mark because it is supposed to be about so much more than just the traditions, even though those are wonderful. And uh, if you've been here this month, you know we've been talking about the fact that the emphasis in the church during December and during Christmas is usually mostly on Jesus being born in a manger, the baby Jesus, and the fact that the Savior came from heaven to earth to live with man, that is one of his names was Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. And we rejoice in that, and that's a wonderful thing, and we should. But this month, we've been talking about the fact that he is also, he didn't just come to be our savior, he came to be our king. That he is King Jesus, just as much as he is the little baby Jesus in that manger, and that's something to be excited about. And whether or not you see him as your king, or your savior, or God with us, or, or whatever you see him as, one thing we know for sure is that he came for us. In fact, Isaiah chapter nine and verse six says very clearly, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and these are the names of Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, 
and Prince of Peace. He came for you and he came for me. And that's something to be glad about today. And you know, he came as a king, but he came as a different kind of king. He wasn't like all the other kings that came before him or any of the kings that have come after him. He was a different kind of king in his birth. He was a different kind of king in his life. And he was a different kind of king in his death. And so let's look at that for a minute. Let's, let's, let's think about the fact of how he was born. You know, we like to glamorize and, and enjoy the idea of the nativity scene. You see him all over the places. People put him in front yards. People put him at churches. You see him. They're wonderful, right? And it's, it's cute and it's neat and it's nice, but that's not the typical way that a king would come into the earth. You know, when a king is born, when someone of royalty is born, typically there is a big, big hoopla about it. It is quite a spectacle. The people from the kingdom will come and they'll be there waiting for someone to bring this baby out to show them that this royal person has been born, right? There's announcements made. And, and even today when you see that, you know, one of the princes of England has a kid, it's a big deal. The media is all over it. People take the day off of work so they can see when this baby is paraded out there for the first time. World leaders call to let them know and congratulate them on this, this new royal child that's being born, right? Yet when Jesus was born, instead of making some big announcement to a bunch of important dignitaries, the announcement was made to some shepherds that were living out in a field. Completely different way of being born than a normal king. In fact, many people say that those shepherds were outcasts. Some say they, they weren't. Whether or not they were or weren't, the fact is that they were very ordinary, simple, unimportant men. Yet that's who God decided to make the announcement about his coming. And then not only that, typically a person of royalty, when they're born, they're going to be born in the castle, right? Which is the best house in the kingdom. And they're going to have security around. They're going to make sure that everything is safe and they're protected. And it's going to be clean and sanitary. And they're going to have the best medical professionals there to make sure that this birth goes well and that this child is taken care of, right? But Jesus wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a stable. And not only was he born in a stable, he was placed in a feeding trough. Again, we glamorize it, but it's, pretty primitive for a king. And they didn't wrap him in a robe, a kingly robe or any royal garments that a normal king would typically have. They wrapped him in some torn up pieces of cloth to keep him warm because he was a different kind of king, even in his birth. And the, the fact is that he chose to come in this manner. And by coming this way, it didn't diminish who he was. It actually exemplified who he was. Because even in that, he is still fully God. And he is fully our king. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 19, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. The whole fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. He was fully God and fully man. And you know, it's safe to assume that if God wanted to, he could have come to earth as an adult, right? He created Adam as an adult and Eve, so he could have come as a 30-year-old man and walked onto the scene, started his ministry, and everything would have been fine, right? But yet God chose to come as a helpless little baby, not born in a castle, not being announced to the big dignitaries, but born in a stable, placed in a manger, and wrapped in torn cloths because it was necessary and good for God to do that, to be a part of humanity in such a way. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. 
because he was a different kind of king in his birth. And he was, the fullness of God was in him. So that tells me that the fullness of God being in Jesus, it's not in a church. It's not in a pastor, praise God. It's not in a worship song. It's not in a Bible. It's not in a behavior. It's not in a religion. It is not in anything except in Jesus. So if you want more of the fullness of God in your life, you need more of Jesus in your life. That's the only thing you need because the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ and what he came to do for you and for me. And you know, during his early years, there's not much in the Bible about his early life before he started his ministry. But we know that in that time that the way was being prepared for him. In fact, as a, nor as a normal king, if a king was gonna travel from one town to another, the way would be prepared. They would send people ahead. First of all, because of the roads, the roads weren't perfect or great. So they would send people ahead to make sure that there were no obstructions, no rocks, boulders, logs, anything would be moved out of the way so that the king's path was straight. They were even known to fill in low places, to fill in valleys, to make sure that the king's carriage could go through unabated. And then they would send people ahead of them to go into the town he was coming to to let everybody know, hey, the king is coming. You better get your, order, your, your affairs in order because the king is coming. And so they would prepare the way for the king. Well, the way was prepared for Jesus as well, but it wasn't about a road. It wasn't about valleys or rocks or anything like that. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew 3, verse 1, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, repent, the king is coming. He's coming, everybody. Repent. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, and this is what he was saying, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So this was, in this way, Jesus was being treated as a king as well. The path was being cleared for him, but it wasn't about a road, it was about people's hearts. John was coming before him to prepare the hearts of people so that when the word came, the word that was flesh came, the hearts would be ready to receive that word because they've already been prepared because they've been repenting and ready to receive the King Jesus coming to them. Basically, John was saying, the King is coming. Get ready because he's on his way. So Jesus was a different kind of king in his birth and in his early life, but he was also a different kind of king in his life. The life that he lived, he was a different kind of king. You know, kings are typically exalted. Right? They live a life of being exalted, of being propped up, of being above everybody else. You know, they, they, don't, they live to be served in every way. I, I did some research on this, and there's ways that kings were served in, the, in ancient days that were actually kind of just ridiculous. I can't even say some of it from the stage, but they were served in every way possible. And the idea of a king actually serving someone else would be ridiculous, and no one would ever suggest it because that's not what they were there for. They were there to be served. They were exalted and honored and put in places of honor everywhere they went. Trumpets sounded when they'd come into the room, always exalted, but our Jesus did not come to be exalted. He came and took a place of lowliness. Instead of exaltation, he was lowly because that was what he chose to do. That was how he decided to come. In fact, when you, you see in Matthew 20 that Jesus with his disciples and the mother of James and John is with them and the, their mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, I want my sons to be on either side of you. 
See, she was thinking that he was gonna bring an earthly kingdom, that they were gonna overthrow Rome and he was gonna be the king of Israel and they were gonna reestablish the kingdom of Israel because they were just not understanding what Jesus was really doing at this time. And so she says, I want my boys to be on either side of you. And the other disciples heard about it and they were outraged that she would do this. And so a big ruckus started and Jesus stopped him and he said, listen, the kingdoms of this earth, they wanna lord it over you, their power. They wanna have power so they can get you to serve them and do what you need them to do. But he said, that's not how my kingdom works. If you wanna be great in my kingdom, you have to serve. That's how you get great in my kingdom. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 28 of Matthew 20, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was a different kind of king in his life. He was showing us here how the kingdom of God works. In fact, he reiterated it and reestablished it at the Passover, at the last supper they had together before Jesus was arrested. You know that he was with his disciples and he got down, he washed all their feet. And if you know anything about ancient culture in the Middle East back then, the person that had to wash people's feet was the, was the lowest of the lowest servant. That was the entry level servant position. Other servants could tell us a lower servant, hey, you wash their feet when they come in. That was, the, that was the most servant thing you could do in that day. And that's what Jesus did, and he got down and washed all their feet. And he did this because he was showing us how the kingdom of God works. That it is not a kingdom of this world, it's a different kingdom. It's a kingdom about serving, it's a kingdom about surrender, it's a kingdom about giving yourself to others and to God. And that was his purpose for doing what he did. That it's, it's not just about getting ahead, it's not just about trying to see how many people you can get to do what you need them to do, but it's about taking that lowly position in life. Because you know, everything in this world, everything in our society today is telling us that you gotta climb the ladder, right? You gotta climb the ladder. The higher you get on the ladder, the more successful you are, the more people you have that have to answer to you, the more powerful you are, the better person you are, right? The more to be honored, the more to be respected. And we can even find ourselves doing that in our faith, where we're trying to climb this spiritual ladder to get to God. And you know what happens when we do that? We live frustrated. Because you know what? Jesus is telling us by washing the disciples' feet, if you wanna reach me, you don't reach me by climbing the ladder, you reach me at the bottom of the ladder. Because that's where your God is, that's where he's serving. You don't have to worry about trying to get to the top to find God, you find him down at the low places. Some of you here today might be thinking you're about at the end of your rope, for whatever reason. Whether it's COVID, whether it's career, whether it's relationships, whether Christmas shopping is driving you crazy and you're anxious and fearful, Whatever it is, and you feel like you're just about at the end of your rope, can I tell you today, that's a good thing? Because when we get to the end of the rope, guess who's there? Jesus. That's where he resides. He resides, he is, he is very limited in what he does in our life until we get to that place where we say, I can't do it on my own. I need you, Jesus. And until we do that, we're working in our own strength, we're limiting ourselves in our relationship with him and getting the value of a king in our life that he so wants to give us. Hallelujah. If your motivation today is to see how high you can climb the ladder and to see how many people you can have that are intimidated by you or fear you or just wanting to have authority and power in life, can I tell you today, you might be serving the wrong king. The question for all of us today is, is he your king? You know, as I've been saying, he was a different kind of king in his birth and in his life. He's also a different kind of king in his death. Now, I'm not saying he was the only king to ever be killed, to ever be tortured or mistreated, by no means at all. In fact, if you read your Bible, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles gives all kinds of exploits of 
kings being assassinated and overthrown and, and killed just because of their position. So he wasn't the only one to be killed. In fact, I think of the, the very last king of Judah. You know, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel, the bottom was Judah. The northern kingdom had already been uh, exiled to Assyria for their sin. God had rejected them and they got, a, they got uh, exiled. The southern kingdom of Judah survived a little longer, mostly because of God's word to King David. And when Judah had their last king, his name was King Zedekiah, and the Babylonian Empire came into Jerusalem and conquered them, and King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and they captured Zedekiah and, both of, or, and his sons. And as extra cruelty to Zedekiah, what they did was they brought his sons in front of him and made him watch as they killed his sons, and then immediately afterwards, they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes so that the last thing he saw was his sons being killed. And then he lived in a dungeon or prison for the rest of his life. So Jesus wasn't the only one to suffer and die as a king, but he was the only one. He was the first and the only one to come for that purpose. See, all these other kings, when it happened to them, it was against their will. When Jesus did it, it was because that was why he came. You see, I mentioned briefly last week that most kings, or basically all kings except Jesus, didn't, don't wanna be accessible to their people. They're insulated from the common folk, right? If you're not part of the king's little tiny inner circle, you're not getting placed with the king. They, they do that on purpose. They just want you to obey the laws and stay out of trouble and you'll be fine, right? But Jesus was not accessible to us. God, we were not accessible to God, but God was not okay with that. See, what caused the insulation between us and God was not the fact that Jesus, God was trying to keep us apart. It was our own sin that kept us from him. It was the, your sin and my sin. It was the sin of the world that kept us from being able to be in relationship with God and to be accessible to him. And that was not good enough for Jesus. So he actually came to this earth specifically for the purpose of making sure that he would be accessible to us by paying the ultimate price for the sin that you and I have that we could not pay on our own. He paid the debt that we could not pay because God was not okay with us not being able to have place with him or to be able to stand with him. You know, in John 19, Jesus is arrested. He's standing with, before the governor at the time, the, the Roman governor, his name was Pilate. And Pilate was looking to release Jesus. He didn't really see anything wrong with him. He didn't think it was that big of a deal. He was trying to get rid of him. And the Jews were saying, no, crucify him. And Pilate was kind of a weak leader, so he wanted to please the people, so he decided he would go ahead and do it. But before he did, he had Jesus flogged, had him beaten. You know the story, he was beaten and, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. They literally sewed that thing onto his head. It went into his skin and out. And he was obviously a spectacle at that point. Pilate brings him out and parades him in front of the people and he says, here he is, your king, the king of the Jews. And he did it to mock them and to mock Jesus because he didn't really care. He was a Roman, didn't understand what they were doing. He did it to mock them, but he didn't realize that what he was doing was saying one of the greatest truths of all time. That really, that picture of Jesus really is the king. He is the king of our heart. He came to sacrifice himself. He showed us what the kingdom of God looks like. You would think that a king standing before his people would have the, the stately look and everything in order. But our king is different, even in his death. The battered, bruised, bloodied, crown of thorns on his head, Jesus, that we see, that's our king. Because he stepped in and took what you and I deserved. 
The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. We are all born into the sin nature because sin is in the world. So by our very birth, we are born as sinners. And the wages, which is what we deserve, when you get your wages, that's what you deserve. When you work, you get wages, you get what you deserve because you put your work in. The wages of our sin, what we deserve is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Because of that king that stood there, battered and bruised and bloodied with a crown of thorns on his head. If he didn't do that, you and I didn't have that forgiveness that we so desperately need in our life. In fact, it's because of that that we can have a relationship with him. He has done everything needed for us to know him, to love him, and to experience him. So if you or I are not having a relationship with him, if we're not standing before the king, if we're not having access to the king, it's not his fault. The only person that can keep you from a relationship with this king is you because he did everything that needed to be done. In fact, he said very clearly in Matthew 11, I love these words of Jesus. Verse 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, he knows a little bit about what it's like to be weary and burdened because of that picture we see of him standing before Pilate. He knows what that's like. He says, I know about being weary and burdened. You can come to me and I'll give you rest. Powerful words. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody's soul needs some rest? Hallelujah. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He, you know what he's saying now? He's saying, you don't have to be scared of God anymore. You don't have to, I'm not to be... You're not, I'm not to be feared anymore. He's to be revered. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not to be actually afraid of him. He's saying, if you're weary, if you're burdened, if you're tired, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, if you're, if you're sorrowful, if you're sad, if whatever it is, you can bring it to him. He says, come to me with all of those things and I will give you rest. He's the only one that can give us real rest in our life. You don't have to be afraid of him anymore. He's not looking for a reason to judge you or condemn you. He actually did everything needed so that he didn't have to condemn you in your life. In fact, the angel, when the angel came and announced to the people that the baby was born, the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. He said, don't be afraid anymore. Those days are over. Now you can come and I'll give you rest in your life. In fact, in Luke 12, 32, I love these words of Jesus. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. You and me, we're the little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It is his great pleasure to give us the kingdom. He doesn't give us access to him begrudgingly. He doesn't do it because he has to do it. You know, some of you may be in managerial positions where you have people under you and you have to give them access to you sometimes and you really just kind of want them to leave you alone and do their job but you kind of have to be accessible to some degree if you're gonna lead them. Jesus doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't say, oh, okay, yeah, okay, all right. Here, here, comes, here comes Jimmy again, you need something else. He, everything he did was so that we could come into his presence in our life. And maybe you make excuses for why you haven't given your life completely to Jesus. Maybe you just kind of hover there. Maybe you're here today because it's Christmas and you're not sure about all this and you have an excuse for every day of the week. That's nothing new, we all have plenty of excuses. You know, we're just too tired. I just, if I do it, I wanna do it well. I don't feel like I can do it well, so I'm just not gonna do it at all. 
You may be angry with God because of COVID. You may be angry with God because something you believed him for something and it didn't happen and it's caused you to put up walls between you and God. We have excuses all day. Maybe you just don't feel like you're good enough. That's the most common reason. We just don't feel like we're good enough to stand with God and to be in relationship with him. Maybe you came here today and you, you see all these Christians in here and you think, man, these Christians really got it going on. They got it together. To which every Christian in this house would laugh hysterically to think that we have it all together. The only difference is we know what to do when he says in Matthew 11 to come, to come to him and lay our burdens at his feet. It's not a one-time thing, guys. It's not something you do just once and like, oh good, I, I laid my burdens down, now I can just live my life. It is every day. Some days, some days it's every hour where we gotta come to him and lay our burdens at his feet and trust him and give him our life and continually die to ourselves and say, no, no, this life isn't for me, it's for him, and reminding ourselves constantly. That's why we don't have church once a year, that's why we have it every week, because we need to be reminded. We need to be encouraged in our faith all the time. But we don't have to worry about not being good enough to stand before the king. You know, in ancient times, if you were, if you were one of the lucky ones that was gonna get audience before the king, if you were gonna stand before the king, what they were gonna do is they were gonna groom you you're gonna get groomed like you've never been groomed before. Your hair's gonna be clean, your beard's gonna be trimmed, it's gonna be combed, you're gonna get clothes. If you don't have nice clothes, they'll put clothes on you. They'll put perfume or cologne on you. I mean, you are, if you were on a dating app, that would be the picture you'd wanna take because you were gonna be ready. You're gonna be your best self to stand before the king. And they taught you how to stand before him and what you had to do and the posture you had to have. And you had to have your head down. You had to do all these things just right. If the king was displeased with anything you did, he could say, off with his head. And that was it. So coming before the king was this thing where you had to have it all together. Can I tell you, there's nothing more about the character of God that is different from him being a king than a regular king than that. Because you don't have to have it all together to come before this king. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. In fact, I, I hear all the time people say, oh, I need to, I wanna get back to church, you know, but I got a few things I need to take care of first before I come to church. And everything inside of me says, no! Because when you get those things taken care of, there's gonna be 15 more that are just ready to swoop in. It's not about getting it all together, it's about bringing those things to him and trusting him. He doesn't make you perfect, but he's not gonna make you stand there and, you know, too many of us, guys, we just, we have the right posture. We know how to stand in church. We know when, when we tell you to sit and stand and sing and pray and we know, you know what to do, you know the posture. God's not looking for the posture of our body. He wants our hearts. And if you got an open heart, you can come before the king anytime. And he will not cast you aside. The Bible's very, very clear that he will be with us and welcome us into his presence. This is my testimony, church my personal testimony. See, I thought I had to have it all together. I thought I had to show my best side all the time. And even though I was inside, I was dying in so many ways. I was trying my best to climb that ladder, to get to God. It's like, God, look at me, look at me, look at my church attendance is flawless, God. Look at what I'm doing. And you know what, if I started feeling bad about myself, you know how I got a little reprieve? I start comparing myself to others. Oh, I'm better than this guy. My, my youth group, my, my friends in church, oh, I'm better than all them. I, I heard my friend cuss the other day. I don't cuss. Thank God I'm better than him. And you start comparing yourself. You know what it does? It gives you a little reprieve. You start to feel better about yourself for about five minutes. 
But then you still realize, what I was realized was I just could never measure up. I would never felt good. I felt condemned all the time. And it wasn't until I got to the end of my rope that I found Jesus. Because up until then, I just had religion. And when I actually found Jesus, everything changed. I didn't have to worry about being perfect. But I also didn't have to stay in my sin because when we, when we come to him, he also sets us free. We have the freedom that comes from what he did because his death and, his, and his, his life, his death, his resurrection didn't just save us to get us to heaven one day. It sets us free on this earth too. We can live free from sin on this earth. The grace of God is not just to cover our sins. It's also the power to help us to walk away from sin too. But praise God, when we mess up, it says very clearly, come to me, come to me. Come to me if you will confess your sins. I am faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I don't care how many times you gotta do it. He forgives you the first time. He forgives you the 10th time. He forgives you the thousandth time. Do you ever get tired of praying forgiveness for the same prayer and you think God's not even gonna listen to me anymore because I've done this so many times? And God says, nope, because once he forgives it, it's gone. Period. Amen, amen. You know, he tells us clearly that we have to forgive unconditionally, consistently, and constantly too. So he's not gonna ask us to do something he's not willing to do for us, because that's who he is. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Ephesians 2, verses eight to nine. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, the greatest Christmas gift ever given in the history of the world, not by works, and this is why he does it this way, so you can't brag about it. You can't claim you're better than anybody else because you didn't deserve it. When you open gifts on Christmas Day and somebody gives you a gift, you can't brag about it because you didn't do anything to get it. Unless you're my wife, where she probably has to buy her own gifts and just wraps them and puts my name on them. But other than that, you didn't do anything about your gifts, so you can't brag about it. That's exactly what the grace of God is in our life. And it's for all of us, church. I was listening to a, a video this week of this pastor was talking, and his, he's a, probably my age, and his dad is also a pastor. He said he was hanging out with his dad one day in the living room, and his dad just randomly asked him, he said, son, what are the, the three most commonly mentioned attributes of God in the Bible? What, what are the attributes of God that are mentioned the most in the Bible? And he said, you know, for, first thing out of my mouth, I said uh, that he's holy. And he, his dad said, nope, that's not the most, one of the top three that's mentioned the most. Uh, that he's sovereign, nope. Uh, that he's righteous, nope, not in the top three. And he finally said, okay, I give up. What are the top three attributes of God that are mentioned in the Bible the most times? And he said, number one, that God is good. Number one. Number two, that God is able. And number three, that God is faithful. Now listen, church, it doesn't, he is sovereign too. He is righteous and he is holy. But God saw the need to make sure that it was in the Bible many times to remind us that he is good, that he is able, and he is faithful. And God, that is something we can praise him for because let me tell you something, him being able is a good thing, but if he's just able and he's all powerful, but he doesn't have the goodness and the faithfulness, we need to be afraid of him. But because he sandwiches that with goodness and faithfulness in our life, I can't imagine any one of us not wanting to live our life for him. Why would we not wanna serve a God that we're reminded more than any other thing about him that he's good and that he's able and that he is faithful. He is faithful. I wanna challenge you today, if you're here today and you don't know him, 
or you've been on the fence, or you've lived your life, you, you, were, you lived your life for him for a while and you kind of walked away, you kind of deconstructed your faith, I wanna challenge you today to come back to him. Jesus said, come to me if you're weary. Weary covers pretty much everything. If you're weary in body, heart, mind, soul, spirit, anywhere that you're weary, he says, come to me. I will give you rest. Does it mean your life's gonna be perfect? Nope. Are you never gonna have stress again? Are you never gonna be weary again? Probably not. But where else are you gonna turn? Where else are you gonna go? He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And the worst this world has to offer can't take that away. Knowing that no matter what happens on this earth, what can man do to me? Because my time on this earth is short. My time in eternity is forever. And it is secure when we are living our life for him. Would you stand with me please today? The angel came and he said, fear not, for I bring good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The joy of God, of this baby being born and bringing salvation to the world, it is for everybody. But not everybody's gonna receive it. Not everybody's gonna experience it. If you wanna really experience it, you have to give your life to him. And it starts with just opening your heart. The Bible says he will not cast anyone aside that comes to him. It starts with giving yourself to him. And, but that's just the beginning of the journey. Because after that, the life change happens. The Bible says that we are, our old man is dead when we give our lives to Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new person, you live differently, you, you leave your life of sin and of self and all the things that the world would wanna offer you and you give yourself completely and totally to Jesus. And he promises you that he will, his peace will be in your life. And maybe some of you today, you've lived for him and you've, you've kind of waffled, gone back and forth. I wanna encourage you today to come back. You don't have to get yourself in order, even though you knew better and you know, you know better, you shouldn't be doing this, you sh I shouldn't be doing that, I know better, it doesn't matter. You don't fix that before you come and stand before this king. You come and stand before him and he'll help you with it. But you have to surrender it to him. You lay your burdens at his feet and you leave them there. But if you're here today and you say, I love Jesus, I would still challenge you to open your heart to allow him to have even more access into your life. He is the King of Kings. He came to die to have access to every area of your heart, not just the ones we wanna give him. So I wanna invite you to come to the altar today. You can even start coming if you wanna come now. I, wa I wanna pray for those that want to open their heart to Jesus. I'm gonna have, we're have prayer leaders on either end over here. If you want somebody to pray with you, you can come to them or you can just come to the altar and pray. But don't wait. Don't wait to see if anybody else is coming. Just come. Come and pray, spend some time here at the altar. We're not gonna embarrass anybody. We're not gonna sift you off into another room and do anything. We're just, we just wanna open it up to where you can spend some time with your king. Because he will receive you. And if you don't wanna pray up here, but you do want somebody to pray for you, there'll be people in the atrium as we're leaving. They'll, they'll guide you into a room right there in the atrium where you can pray, someone will pray with you. It doesn't have to, it could be for anything. If you just have a family issue, a health issue, a finance issue, whatever it is, we would love to pray with you for you, okay? So let's pray together. I just encourage you to respond to this prayer. You can open your hands, hold your hands up, close your eyes, bow your head, get on your knees, whatever you wanna do. Let's open our hearts to Jesus today. Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you that you are in this place. We thank you that you are good, that you are able, and that you are faithful. 
God, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being good enough to come and to die for each one of us. We rejoice in this baby that was born in a manger and that died on a cross and rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven that has given us life and life more abundantly. We rejoice in that today, Lord. We rejoice in you and who you are. You are the only one worthy of our worship. You deserve it all. You are the fullness of God. It is found in you and in you alone. We give ourselves to you today, Lord. For those today that don't know you, God, I pray they would give their hearts to you today. For anyone in this room today, anyone listening online, if, if your heart is pounding out of your chest, you know the Lord's dealing with you, respond to it. Respond to it today. Don't wait. Don't wait to respond to the conviction of God in our hearts. You can, we can, every one of us can stand before him today and he will not reject us. We thank you for it, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being a different kind of king and for being pleased to give us the kingdom. We love you and we bless you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God.